opened the door to the most powerful room in housing, built for mortgage executives, real estate leaders, and the rising stars that drive innovation and progress. The gathering will feature over 45 powerful speakers on stage in Scottsdale, Arizona from April 21st to 24th. Learn more and register now at housingwirethegathering.com. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk, I'm Alcina Lloyd and this is The Daily Download. Today I'll be providing our listeners with an exclusive interview with Mortgage Marketing Radio's Jeff Zimfer and Housing Wire columnist Logan Matashami. In today's crossover episode, the pair discussed why the U.S. housing market is winning in spite of the COVID-19 pandemic's economic impact. Notably, we're only airing a portion of the interview as the full recording will be featured in Housing Wire's Housing News podcast. For those not familiar with the podcast, it explores the most important topics happening in mortgage, real estate, and fintech. Each week, a new mortgage or real estate executive joins the show to add perspective to the top stories crossing HousingWire's news desk. It's supported on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. All right, guys, before we dive into today's episode, here's a brief word from our sponsor. Extraordinary challenges demand extraordinary solutions. CoreLogic is uniquely positioned to help you navigate this historic disruption. Whether it's virtual home showings, flexible employment verifications, or automated loan modification engines, CoreLogic delivers the data-driven solutions, targeted insights, and deep domain expertise trusted by the nation's most successful mortgage lenders. Explore how CoreLogic can help you today. Visit corelogic.com forward slash COVID-19. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Mortgage Marketing Live Show. I'm your host, Jeff Zimfer, back from vacation. And today I'm very excited for a very special show with a guest who I'm honored to have on. So without further ado, uh, Logan Matashami, Housing Wire contributor, retired loan officer, data analyst extraordinaire. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Great to be here. Great to have you. Great to have you. Um, seriously, uh, you and I obviously have had some conversations prior to this, and I'm very um, blown away by uh, your uh, knowledge of data and recall. And let me just get check the uh, people watching live here. Mark Gelbin, what's up? High five to you, Mark. Good to see you here. Get ready to put your comments or questions in because we are talking about leading it off with, well, Logan, why don't you do this? Before I start with the first question, I kind of talked about the, I'd love you to give your version of your bio, who you are, uh, what are you all about? Well, I'm a retired loan officer. Our, mm-hmm. uh, our family's had a mortgage company here in Southern California since 1987. And uh, just about a month ago, I, I retired. My father's still working. Our family in general has been in banking since the late 1950s. But about 10 years ago, I started a financial blog. I, I started to talk about housing and, and economics. And every year it kind of just got sharper and, and leaner. And then, you know, I did full blown basically data analyst work. And a lot of people kind of know me for that uh, more than being a loan officer. A lot of people were surprised that I, I, I've been a loan officer all these years. But uh, my job is charts all day, charts all night, total nerd fest. So uh, about economics, housing, everything like that, you know, uh, I'm the kind of the one man stop shop because it's 24 seven all the time. Yeah, 100%. Absolutely. And for those that are looking to get better educated and informed on uh, the real story about housing, what impact interest rates or not, I definitely encourage you to follow Logan. We'll give you some of those links uh, before we wrap up here. But um, Logan, let's open it up with uh, you know the, the question I wanted to start with, which is why is the housing market doing so well? We're coming out of a pandemic, right? All these issues, job losses. So let's start with that. Why is the housing market performing so well? 
Well, in general, economics is demographics and productivity. The rest is kind of stamp collecting. But in housing, it's primarily demographics and mortgage rates. So right now in 2020, which is something I've talked about for eight years now, I thought this 2008 to 2019 housing would have the weakest recovery ever. But by years 2020 to 2024, we're going to have like a little sweet spot for about five years where we have the biggest housing demographic patch ever recorded in history. And for somebody like myself and people who follow my work, I've always believed in lower mortgage rates. So this is kind of it's happening this year. Now, of course, it gets tested by a global pandemic and a virus. And initially, everyone thought, well, housing's in a bubble, student loan debt crisis, housing has to go down. And I was like, uh uh, no just wait, right? You know, the virus can cause a lot of damage short term to the economy, but it can't kill off the two things that really drives the housing markets. It's demographics and mortgage rates. So once, you know, after the first few weeks when purchase applications were going down to 20, 30% year over year, we started to come back. And now the last seven weeks, we've had double digit positive year over year growth, which is faster now than was before the coronavirus. And before COVID hit, you know, housing, new home sales cycle highs, existing home sales cycle highs, uh, housing starts were up 40% uh, year over year in February. So it looks right to me. I think explaining the story why is really important because it takes these housing crash bubble people off the line. And usually these guys are just fraudulent grifters. And I think that's one of the things I've tried to stress uh, over the last few years. That's a, that's a, is that a term of endearment? Fraudulent grifters? <laughs> yes. Yes. Gold bugs and central bank people. <laughs> Love it. Love it. All right. So yeah, give us give us some of the, the the data behind this, you know, the story that's not often told in in normal media about, you know, the housing market. What what's why is demographics favorable? You know, for the you said a window for the next what? Tw to 2022, 24? Years 2020 to 2024. And the reason I the reason I say that is that the biggest age group ever recorded in US history are ages 26 to 32. Mm -hmm. So the first time median home buyer age is 33. Yep. So the notion that millennials aren't buying homes or that there's a student loan debt crisis and none of them are, this makes no sense. We've had basically roughly 6 million total home sales for years now. Uh, and, and, and it's not like Gen X is buying or the baby boomers are buying. It's millennials coming into their prime buying age. And I've always said this, you know, uh, to kind of explain it, people rent, they date, they mate, they marry three and a half years after marriage, they have kids. They, they do things a little bit later in life, but they mm. do them. So I, I think there, were, there was a, just a giant Titanic whiff on this millennials don't buy homes and there's a student loan debt crisis, there's an affordability crisis. We had 648 uh, economic crisis events in the last 10 years. Uh, and we had the longest economic and job expansion ever recorded in history. And the only thing that shut this economy down was a global pandemic virus. So I uh, don't believe the hype uh, of the doom and gloom tellers. You know, we've always had groups like this since 1790 in America. The American bears have failed every decade uh, since then. So follow math, facts, and data. Follow, follow people that believe in economic models. And, and I always ask a bear, what's your economic model for recession? Why is housing going to crash? They're just going to tell you the same thing. Mm. The Fed, the Fed, the Fed, gold, 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 debt, debt, right. debt. Right. Hasn't worked. So you're saying don't follow that. Follow the demographics. Follow, follow demographics and mortgage rates. Mortgage rates get above four and a half percent. Housing slows down. So you know mm -hmm. the people that say, "Well, mortgage rates are historically low." Well, when you when you're working with a certain kind of supply and demand equilibrium, mortgage rates above four and a half percent in 2013, 2014 slowed the market. In 2018, it, it slowed the market. Uh, so just remember that the, things aren't 
you know, don't use previous models or previous interest rates. Work with what you have right now and, and, and be careful of the doom and gloom housing crowd. You know, they're, mm. they're, they're, that's kind of how they make their living. And it's just hasn't happened. And this year is a prime example of that demographics and mortgage rates matter more. Yeah. So you said mortgage rates when they get to about four and a half percent can slow uh, the housing can market. Slow, yeah. Yeah. They can Which, slow the housing market. They can't collapse the market, but it right. definitely does slow the market. So I always tell people when the 10 year yield gets above 2.62%, be mindful of that. You know, some people go, oh, don't worry that historically these are low yields. No, there are, there are levels, especially in hot coastal areas uh, where uh, a demand gets demand slows down and supply does increase. Um, so you know, for those of us that have a long view of history, knowing that, I mean, my perspective is 4.5% is still very cheap money, right, in terms of w comparatively what interest rates were back in the 80s and all that when we had inflation, mm -hmm. right, we had double-digit interest rates. Do you foresee, uh, because to, to, to your point about let's look at the models for currently where we are in the world, I mean, do you foresee any situation where we would get back to that situation of double digits? If I see 6% mortgage rates ever in my life, and I'm 44, mm. I will be shocked, shocked beyond belief. Really? I mean, we, we must have done some kind of massive government stimulus spending plan to get growth back to those levels. Because what, uh, you know, since 1981, if you look at the chart of the 10-year yield, it's been going down every single right. cycle. It's never broken that downtrend, and it shouldn't because... The world is older. We're an older country. Demographics and technology are deflationary. Population growth is slowing down. We're not going to get the kind of the, the growth rates or the inflation rates that people are, are, are thinking that would go inside with high mortgage rates. So um, and the United States dollar is the reserve currency of the world. It just gets too strong in, in bad times. So, no, I mean, I would honestly be shocked if I saw six percent mortgage rates in my lifetime. So do you have any concerns with, you know, Fed buying mortgage-backed securities, right? And, and as we hear the term, keeping rates artificially low? No, uh, artificially low is, is, is one of these uh, gold bug grifting uh, tactics that they've <laughs> used forever. So it's just, it's just not, I mean, if you think about it, mortgage rates and interest rates have been falling for decades. And this is, yeah. the Fed started the QE in 2010. So the QE actually ended in 2014 and actually yields rise right after that. So it, it again, ignore people that use fed gold and inflation mm. if you take those three if you just ignore people that use those three then you're gonna be okay but when you start to say the fed that keeps artificial rates these are all marketing gimmicks fear yeah. fear doom and gloom and so uh and they failed really i mean the, yeah. we just had the longest expansion ever in history and if it wasn't for this virus we'd still be moving along mm. Um, so you mentioned a moment ago about we don't have a, a student loan debt crisis, and you've shared some specific data around why that is. And I think that goes into your, your point about perception and media. Let's talk about some real facts when it comes to student loan debt crisis. Break that down. So when people talk about student loan debt crisis, that Americans can't buy homes because they have too much student loan debt, what they don't show is actually they break down the data. And when you break down the data, you see that like 72% of the people that have student loan debt are actually under 17,000. Uh, the people that have a lot of stress with their student loan debt are mostly college dropouts. And then the balance is roughly 10,000. So you're talking about people that never finished college and don't have, you know, when you finish college, you have debt, but you have the income capacity usually with that debt. That's why college educated Americans make more money than everyone else. That's why college educated uh, Americans actually have more financial assets. So you, when you break down the data, the people that go to school, that finish school, that go to work right away, that have very low unemployment rates, they're okay. But if you talk about people that took on debt that never finished school, 
even though the debt size isn't that big, that's where the stress is. So it's not like baby boomers are buying all these homes or Gen X are buying these homes. It's millennials that are coming into their kind of first time home, home buyer age and then they go to college. So, I mean, you can make a case that some of these people just can't buy bigger homes because the debt payments or the debt balance is too much. But the notion that student loan debt crisis was here when we just had the longest job expansion, longest economic expansion, and now housing is the single most outperforming uh, economic sector in the world mm-hmm. shows that something was really wrong with that thesis. And that's something I've been talking about for many years now. So uh, how about the job loss situation, right? Wh- whatever that number was, I'm sure you know it better than I, 40 some odd million. Uh, what's the impact? Yeah, there? well, well, here's the thing. You, we have jobless claims are running about over 40 million if you combine them. Uh, continuing claims are a little bit over 18 million. But one of the things that if you looked at the job losses, a lot of these are tied to what I call renter households and, and people that are future renters. And um, immediately the doom and gloom people said, oh, look at these major job losses. It doesn't impact homeowners as much. But I think what, what we see a lot is, especially on Twitter finance or on financial media, labor economists and economists in general focus on the unemployed people. But they never talk about that there's 138 million people still working, right? right? So if, if people go, how could housing have double digit? There's 138 million people working. And the key is the, more, the housing market just needs 4 million mortgage buyers per year to keep demand stable. And this yeah. is why 2020, as soon as we, as soon as you got this fear out of this virus, out of we just go back to because it's not like the car car sales market where you need 17 or 18 million to create new highs. You need four million mortgage buyers per year. And then, you know, you, you still have a very high level of cash buyers in the market. And that's how you keep uh, sales demand stable. And that's why you don't see this parabolic spike in inventory. And even with the forbearance plan, it, mm. it, it, it's still people are homeowners now are in much better spot than they were in 2003 to 2008, where it was a credit bubble. And we did not have a credit consumer bubble going into this crisis. So if we had a time in history where a global pandemic uh, occurs, this is not a bad time to have it because we have a lot of fiscal space. We can borrow a lot of money. We can help people. Interest rates are low. Inflation is low. But the demographics are favorable. And this is one of the reasons why you see some of these data just sharply rebound up. Once you get this virus out of the system, game is on again. Hmm. Right. And we go back to, you know, uh, some of the uh, old school thinking of what's going to create a recession that never happened. So when you say game back on again, once we get out of this virus, I mean, you and I both know the mortgage industry is incredibly hot right now. The housing industry is on fire. What does that mean? Does that mean it's going to get even busier? Well, I, I. One of the things that people are going to have to realize that once we got the sharp rebound uh, in purchase applications, yeah. and then we're going to flatten out because we're we're at cycle highs. I mean, yeah. pre-cycle highs. We're already showing double-digit growth. We're we're already here, right? We're the only sector that is actually for eight weeks have been uh, showing double-digit growth right now. So uh, at, at that point, it becomes basically a traditional or a, what I call as Act Four housing 2020. You know, so it's not like, you know, we're going to be working from a very low level for a long time. We already had the V-shaped recovery. It already happened. So you're not, you know, we were looking at probably 6.4 million total home sales Uh before, you know, this crisis hit. So you just want existing home sales to kind of be above 4.6 million. The new home sales market yesterday, the new home sales purchase applications were showing 54% year over year growth. You get 700,000 right there. It's a stable marketplace. Right. And then we got to deal with the virus and then what's going to happen in 2021. But for right now, 
the, it's pretty much done. We, the leg work is done. All we need to see is flat to positive purchase application year over year data for the rest of the year. Housing should be okay because we already did the V-shaped recovery already. Interesting. So we came in and out of this, the, the rebound from the pandemic pretty quickly? After three weeks, yeah. the purchase application data started to show its recovery. That's, That's because all social distancing was rolled back. People could go out, could go out and look at homes again? Well, they could look, they could look at a house, but in general, you know, people were still buying and selling homes across sure. the country. You know, every right. state, every state kind of had their own kind of lockdowns, but right. you know, technology and productivity and everything, you know, the, the, the world has changed so much that you could still do deals. Right. But I, th I think the big thing is that, and what I try to tell people, credit still flowed. Uh, mm -hmm. And and that's that's the most important thing in, in, mm -hmm. in economic cycles for America. Uh, we had a mortgage market meltdown in March 9th. You know, rates did go up. Some of the non-QM lenders were gone. Low FICO score, FHA, jumbo markets. But that's, I, I always talk about it. That's about 4.5 to 6.2% of the marketplace. Freddie and Fannie, because they are not publicly traded companies and, and uh, uh, out of uh, government conservatorship, were able to keep the market flowing. And this is why I'm a big advocate. Let these two giants stay with the government because if they were mm -hmm. publicly traded companies, our stocks would have gone down, yep. credit would have tightened. We we would have not had this V-shaped recovery. You wouldn't have seen the forbearance plans because the government has the ability to take losses on their books. Mm. It, it, these two things, these two giants should not be publicly traded because we probably would have had to do congressional hearings, get them back into conservatorship. We would have wasted a lot of times with no. After three weeks, you could kind of see purchase application decline stop. We started to slowly get back up. In the last eight weeks, we're positive. The last seven weeks are actually showing double-digit year-over-year growth. And we still have a virus out here, and we're now seeing more states do more lockdown protocols and taking some of the reopenings back. All right, and we're going to wrap this interview here, but make sure to listen to the rest on the Housing News Podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and more. As for the Daily Download, thanks for joining us this week. And as a reminder, the Daily Download is also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. So be sure to hit that subscribe button so you never miss the latest coverage of what's happening in the housing industry. You can catch us anywhere you want to listen. So until then, have a great weekend, and we'll catch you back here on Monday.